I was uh, I was having a conversation with a with a friend recently about believe it or not our swimming pool and and and, and how much I had uh, learned about plumbing and electrical work since we've had that pool um, because it's not just the the chemicals that are expensive it's the it's the maintenance of the thing that's expensive uh, taking care of the equipment opening and closing it all of that adds up and so out of necessity I've learned to do a lot of things taking care of that and I would never be I've never been somebody you would consider especially handy um, the friend of mine that I was talking to often when I he's a contractor and often when I call him and ask him questions he'll say why don't you just get Susan to do it um, so that's that's been my general my general background but I but I'm learning how to, how to do all these things right so so how does that happen well it's called YouTube um, you can figure out how to do almost anything now from YouTube because before you might read something and go, I, I have no idea what he's talking about. But now you can actually see somebody do it. Right? You can see them repair whatever it is on the pump. You watch that and you can do it yourself. Uh, the same friend I was talking about said his son is actually making money repairing iPods for people now. Now how did he learn how to repair iPods? YouTube. Uh, and he made the comment, he said, you know, I think I could do brain surgery if there was a YouTube video for him. Maybe. Um, maybe. I'm not so sure about that. Because here's the thing, that works fine as long as what you're doing or trying to fix matches up exactly with what they're showing you, right? But if something isn't exactly the same or if something goes wrong, then suddenly I'm just completely lost because I don't have all that background knowledge that an actual plumber or electrician or, or whoever would actually have. They can come into a situation and they can adapt because they've got a, a broader, uh, whatever, a broader knowledge of the subject, whereas I'm just kind of imitating somebody. And so if I were to do brain surgery following a YouTube video, you know, you're sitting there like, oh, that blood vessel ruptured. That wasn't in the video. I'm sorry. Um, and so you want something more than that when you're actually, you know, having brain surgery. So while having video knowledge of something is nice, having book knowledge of something is nice, there's nothing like um, mastering a field. And there's nothing like sitting under someone who has mastered a field and them training you uh, to do the same sort of thing. You're really learning from them, having a living and breathing connection with them. Aren't you thinking how people go through Med school is a great example of that. You get your book knowledge, then you shadow somebody, then you slowly start doing more on your own, and then you're, you're ready to, to be a doctor. You've mastered your craft. Now, I'm not saying all that. Um, our little corner of the, the Christian world, the, the Presbyterian and, and Reformed world, we take book learning pretty seriously, right? We like guys like John Calvin and John Owen and all these very cerebral guys. And we take the Bible seriously, and we really believe that God is at work through the, the proclamation of His Word. And so we believe all that. But we can also tend to get very information-focused. Okay, um, we, we begin to think that the way sanctification works is, I just need to dump more information into my head. And so if, if we're having a, a problem with gossip, then our temptation might be to say, well, here, you just need to read this book about gossip. Uh, or you're having a hard time with managing your money. Well, we need to teach more about money, and we need more on 
managing money and finances. We just need to learn more. Now that's not that's not wrong. All that's necessary, uh, but it misses one of the fundamental ways that people learn, and that is that people learn not just from a book. Oh, that's helpful. Uh, people learn from having a living, breathing connection with somebody else. When I was doing campus ministry at RUF, we used to talk about how people learn, and we used to talk about this thing called the learning process. And sort of our little abbreviation for this was T-D-O-E-E. And this is just sandwiched and just stuffed into my head now. T-D-O-E-E. And it stands for Teach, Demonstrate, Observe, Evaluate, Encourage. Teach, Demonstrate, Observe, Evaluate, Encourage. So you don't just expect to teach somebody something and then go... Come back, did you do that? No. Okay, well, let me teach that to you again. Did you do that? No. You actually have to live that out, what you're wanting to teach the other person. They need to see that modeled. And then you observe and say, well, how are they doing? And then you evaluate that. And then you encourage them in their walk with the Lord. And I'm suspicious that one of the reasons that a lot, one of the reasons that many of us are stagnant in our spiritual growth are one of the reasons that we're not helping people around us grow is that either we've got this information dump view of sanctification. I just need more information. They just need more information. Or we've bought into this kind of American individualism and we're applying that to our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we practice long-ranger Christianity. It's just me and Jesus is my Bible. And if I'm not doing well enough, then that means I just need to buck up and I need to try harder and I just need to read my Bible more and I just need to pray more. And if you're struggling, then you just need to do that more. There's no us coming together. It's just these separate little entities doing our own thing. And I really think the first half of Philippians in this text that we're about to look at really blows that idea apart. So that's a long setup. I want you to see where we're going with this because this is a, it's an interesting passage. Um, Philippians 2, beginning in verse 19, this is God's Word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill." Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, um, this is your word, and we pray that you would use it effectively uh, in our hearts and in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right. Um, this text uh, is sort of an odd text situated where it is in the book of Philippians. It's not really what you would expect at this point because you've kind of had this, this, this theological peak, so to speak. You've had uh, Paul talking about the fact that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, you've had him telling us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. You know, all these kind of big, exciting things. And then basically he kind of gives you two paragraphs of travel plans. Okay? Um, and you're like, what? And Paul, Paul's saying, look, Philippians, I'm not sending you Timothy quite yet. I need him here right now, but I'm hoping to send him to you soon. Now, the Philippians had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, and they were expecting Timothy to come back. And so Paul says, I'm not sending Timothy to you yet. Instead, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you. And yeah, he almost died, but he's doing great now. Uh, and he was worried about y'all, and y'all worried about him. I'm sending him back to you, and he's coming in on flight 405 at LaGuardia. If you could just have somebody there to pick him up at 715. I didn't say all that. But that's kind of the way this section feels. It's kind of like, okay, why is this included in the book of Philippians at this point? Why does Paul launch into this? Well, if you think about it, what's he done? He's encouraged them to live lives worthy of the gospel. Uh, he's used himself as an example of what it looks like to live faithfully to Christ in the, faith of per- faith, in the face of persecution, in the face of imprisonment. Uh, he's used Jesus as an example of what humble service looks like. He's used Israel as a negative example of grumbling and complaining. And so here, while he is making some travel plans, I think he's also putting forward Timothy and Epaphroditus for us to show us once again in real life what it looks like to live a life worthy of the gospel. He's giving us two living, breathing examples of what it looks like to put the interest of Christ ahead of your own interest, of what it looks like to love and serve other people. Now, if you've been around the church or around Christians much at all, you've probably heard somebody at some point say, don't be like me, be like Jesus. Right? Maybe you've said that. Don't be like me, be like Jesus. Now, that's a well-intended statement. And it's intended to convey something along the lines of, I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, you shouldn't try to be like me, you should try to be like Jesus who was perfect, and who did have it all together. That's well-intended, but it's not biblical. It's well-intended, but it's not biblical. The Bible consistently tells older believers to set an example for younger believers. Let me just read you a few places. 1 Timothy 4.2. This is Paul talking to Timothy again. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, this is Paul again, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then right here in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 17, brothers join in imitating me. And keep your eye on those who walk according to the example you have in us. 
Keep your eye on those who walk according to the, to the example you have in us. Those who are also trying to walk in the steps of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways is that you're going to grow as a Christian uh, is by spending time with older, more mature Christians in the faith. You don't grow just by reading your Bible and praying. As important as that is, all right, so don't go home and say, Justin said, don't read your Bible. Um, as important as that is, that is not all there is to growing in faith. You grow as you spend time with other more mature believers, men like Timothy and Epaphroditus. So, so here's what we're going to do in the, in the little bit of time that I have left here. Uh, we're just going to look at these men's lives. And what I want you to do, what I want you to be asking is, do I have anybody in my life like that? Do I have anybody in my life like that? Can I find somebody like that to be a part of my life? And then, what needs to be happening in my life so that I can be this kind of example to someone younger in the faith? All right, who can I find? Do I have somebody? Can I find somebody? And what needs to be happening in my life so that I can also uh, mentor, as it were, someone younger in the faith? So let's just look at these guys. Timothy, for example... Uh, Paul tells us Timothy is somebody who has proven himself. Now look at verse 22. <clears throat> but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Now, <clears throat> the image here is it doesn't carry the same weight with us as it would have with the original readers or it would have for earlier generations. Because before or prior to the industrial uh, revolution, uh, a son would generally follow in the footsteps of his father in terms of the work that he would do. All right, if your dad was a plumber, there's a good chance you're going to be a plumber. If your dad was a farmer, there is a good chance you were going to be a farmer. Today, we do internships with a variety of businesses, but back in the day, you did your internship with your dad. Things don't work like that today. But, but think of the things that your father or your grandfather or your uncle or your mother, the different people in your life have taught you to do um, and, and how that worked. All right? Think about fishing, for example. All right? Many of you have learned how to fish or you've taken somebody fishing. How did you, how did you teach them how to fish? Okay? You didn't just kind of throw the rod out and say, all right, hope that goes well for you. Uh, you would take them the first time and you would set up the hook. You tie the hook to the line. You put the weight on. You put a bobber on. You would bait it for them even because they don't want to touch the worms. Then you would cast it because you're not ready for it to end up in the tree yet. Um, and then you hand it to them, right? And, and this is fishing. All right, you did all this and then you hand it to them. You you tell them to turn the crank a little bit, and then they get a fish, and you got to teach them how to set the hook. And then finally, they do the reeling in part, uh, and so they've caught the fish, and then you take the fish off, right? Because they don't want to touch it, right? And this is how this is how how you learn or teach somebody to fish, and they gradually do a little bit more. All right, maybe the next time, hey, they can actually cast it. And then maybe they can actually put the worm on. And, and eventually they can take the fish off and clean the fish. And everything. But that, that takes place a little bit at a time. It doesn't happen all at once. 
Think about how you learn that if you're on the learning end. You started simply by watching their example. You watched somebody fish. And then you apprenticed yourself to them, so to speak. And you learned it little by little. It's the same, it's a similar thing with, with cutting the grass. You know, when I taught my kids to cut the grass, I didn't just say, there's a lawnmower, see you later. Um, that is a very rapidly moving blade. You, you kind of want to, you want to ease into those things. And so you work your way into it and, and you teach somebody something until you can trust them to do that themselves. Timothy had done that with the gospel. Right, he's, he's, doing what, he's, he's done what I'm saying we all need to do. He had apprenticed himself with a more mature believer. And at, as he has done this, there's this closeness that developed between he and the Apostle Paul. So they had very almost like a father and son relationship. He knew about Paul's teaching. He knew about his way of life. He knew the way he thought. He knew the way he endured persecution and suffering. He knew about his faith and his love. And he saw all these firsthand. He imbibed all of these things firsthand from the Apostle Paul as he spent time with him. Paul didn't just say, well, here's some letters I've written. Go off and read these and memorize these. And and you'll have it all. He spent time with the Apostle Paul. He watched him and he learned and he served with him in the work of the gospel. He put himself in a position of learning. And he learned what it means to serve. And so now he was qualified to lead others because he had proven himself over time. So a a couple of questions. Uh, Do do you see the value of finding someone to apprentice yourself to in the work of the gospel? Uh, Somebody who you can ask hard questions to. Well, you're not just, i got to figure this out on my own. Somebody that you can share your struggles with, confess your sin to, be open with. Somebody who has proven themselves over time. Who is that person for you? Who is that person for you? Will you be willing to to go and try to find that person? And for some of you, that's going to involve moving out of your comfort zone. Uh, Some of you, that will mean laying down your pride and admitting, I need help. I need help in living the Christian life. But that's what it means to be a Christian, right? That's how this thing got started in the first place. You kind of needed saving. That's why you had to come to Jesus. And so to become a Christian, you have to humble yourself and come to Christ as your Savior. To grow as a Christian, you have to continue to humble yourself. And one of the ways you humble yourself is you go to other people admitting, look, I don't, I don't have all this together. And I really think I can learn from you. Will you, will you help me? with this. Now, let's, let's flip that around a little bit. Uh, those of you who have been Christians for a while, who can you seek out? Uh, who's somebody, even at Grace Presbyterian Church, who's younger in the faith than you? Uh, who can you reach out to and seek to, to mentor, to disciple? Now, you know, you might say, I'm just... Uh, maybe a little bit later, when I have it a little more together myself. All right, you're always going to be saying that. All right, there's never going to be a time when you feel like I've got it all together. Uh, let me ask you if you can do this. Are you a sinner? Uh, do you repent every day? Do you look to faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins every day? Okay, good. That's yes. I want you to grow in knowledge. 
But if you've got that much together, then, then good. Go and, and find somebody else and at least model for them how to do that. Here's how I confess, how I repent, and how I look to Jesus in faith every day. So who are you going to seek out? Who are you going to seek out? Who will you give a call to this way this week? And, and let me say something here. That, <clears throat> and this may be a little bit um, off the point, but we're going to go there anyway. Um, we're planning a church. We're planning a church. And what that means is, and I, and I shared this with some of the people in the planning group recently, that means that what we're doing is we're planting a community. We're not planting a worship service. And I think that's real easy to get confused in our minds because this is such a big deal. This is where we want to see people showing up, right? But that's not what we're planning primarily. We're not planning a worship service simply. We are planting a community, a community that worships together, but a community who also loves one another and interacts with one another and takes care of one another and who reaches out to those around us together. And how do you plan a community? You plan it by building relationships with other people outside of the church, but also inside of the church. And so part of the way, one of the ways that looks is you finding someone kind of at your stage, a similar stage as a believer, finding someone who is more mature than you in the faith, who's been a Christian longer, who you can sit under and learn from and ask your questions to, and also finding someone who hasn't been as a Christian as long. Saying, all right, how can, I, how can I bring them along in the faith? So here's my challenge to you is that over the next three weeks, you find three people, all right? And maybe you have no idea. You, I'm not asking you to do all this psychoanalysis of, hmm, John Wright is 0.2% stronger than me as a Christian or whatever. Uh, just find three people. And seek to love one another and encourage one another in the faith. And I think those relationships will develop naturally. And you'll figure all that out. But we're not just planning a worship service. We're planning a community. So we've, we've got to be building relationships with one another. And those relationships do need to be about everyday talk. But they've got to be more than that too. We've got to be one anothering each other so that we're actually growing in the faith. And so then my challenge again to you is over the next three weeks, go to lunch with three different people from Grace. Take three different people from Grace to coffee. However that works for you. But find time to be building into each other's lives. All right, so that's, that's my tangent aside. Um, Timothy had, had proven himself. He had apprenticed himself to the Apostle Paul. And that was part of his development as a believer. Now secondly, uh, both Timothy and Epaphroditus were both genuinely concerned with other people. All right, you see, Timothy in verse 20, Paul writes, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Uh, and then Epaphroditus down in verse 25 and 26, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Uh, here are people who are willing to put the interests of others ahead of their own. And I'm not going to a lot about this other than to ask you, are you learning to do that? Are you learning to put the interests of others ahead of your own interests? 
Um, simple way to kind of do a self-diagnostic uh, here. When you have conversations with other people, how much of those conversations are about what you want to talk about and how much of them are you trying to find out what they want to talk about? All right, are you trying to draw other people out? Are you putting the interests of others ahead of your own interests? Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus are genuinely concerned with other people. They are an example in that. Uh, thirdly, Timothy and Epaphroditus were genuinely concerned with the interest of Christ. All right, look at verse 21. For they all seek their own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. That's why he wants Timothy to stay so badly. And then verse 29 and 30. So receive him, receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Their lives were about Jesus Christ. And it wasn't just something that they said. It was something that they demonstrated. And, and here again is where we have to ask ourselves those soul-searching questions. What's my life really about? Who am I really serving? Whose interest am I really serving? A am I really about the cause of the gospel? Am I really about the interest of the Lord Jesus Christ? Uh, another way to ask this question is, what's my real concern, my comfort or Jesus' glory? The most pressing thing to me, is it my comfort or is it the glory of my Savior? Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul were able to say, my life is nothing if I can advance the gospel. It's okay if I'm tired. It's okay if I'm hungry. It's okay if I'm in jail. If it serves to advance the gospel. That's easy, right? Yeah. Um, not really. It's not easy at all. Um, it's incredibly hard. And I also think one of our struggles here is this: it's one of our biggest blind spots as a church uh, in this culture. Because we live in a society, and we are part of a society, and we take on the values of the society that values wealth and health and comfort. And so those are things that I want. Those are the things that I, I find myself seeking my comfort in. But, but the gospel should be making us uh, into people who are no longer clinging to our time and our money and our wealth and saying, I've got to have these because these are my comforts. These are the things that make me okay. And the gospel should be making us more willing to actually let go of these things and to give all of these Away to do as 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 Jesus says, uh, save your life by losing your life, taking up our crosses and following Him. Uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul were men who did this. They they were men who were not afraid because they put the interest of Christ ahead of their own interest. They were not afraid to do difficult things. You know, there's always a time each summer when our grass gets to be about 15 feet tall. Because it's just too difficult to fool with. I just, I just don't want to do that. And so I just pray for those five or six weeks that nobody gets snake bit. Um, and, and, you know, eventually we go and, and cut it. But, but the gospel calls us to do difficult things. That might be just walking across the street to talk to a neighbor. Uh, it might be building a relationship with somebody that 
it is kind of hard to build a relationship with them. It may be confronting somebody with sin, with their sin. It may be confessing your own sin. Um, it, it may be taking a stand for Christ that you know is going to be costly to you in some ways. Uh, we cling to all of these things, our comfort, our security, and so we're, we're scared to go out on faith and trust God and to serve His interest. Timothy and Epaphroditus are our examples in this, and Paul as well, that, that they found their security in the sovereign Lord of the universe. And they wanted to live and serve in such a way that advanced the cause of the gospel. And if that involved risk and loss to them, then that was okay with them. That was okay with them. I mean, you know, these guys are, they're willing to die. They're willing to be in jail. And that that just really convicts me because I think about how willing I am, unwilling I am simply to get out of my comfort zone and to share the gospel with somebody. Um, the gospel calls us to risk because the gospel calls us to seek not just our own interest but as these men did to seek the interest of Christ above all things it said there were a a group of people in the early church who were known as the gamblers the gamblers and they were not called this because they were Kenny Rogers fans um (laughs) They were not called this because they, because they liked to play poker or anything like that. Uh, they were called this because of the risky way they lived their lives. They were people who consistently would minister to the sick, who would consistently minister to people who were prisoners. Uh, they would try to make sure that people who were martyred had proper burials. At times they would try to make sure that their enemies had proper burials. Uh, And then uh, along about the year 252 in Carthage, this great plague broke out, and people were dying by the scores. Uh, The bishop there, uh, Cyprian, he himself modeled what a Christian ought to do. He took care of the sick. He buried the dead even at risk to his own life, and he encouraged his congregation to do this as well. And so that's what they were doing in the midst of of this plague, while all around them unbelievers were throwing bodies out and, and just fleeing from the city. They're like, we got to get out of here. we got to save our own skin. We gotta, we've got to get away. And yet here are these believers living out the gospel at risk even to their own lives in the place that God had put them. And it was because of their love for Jesus, because of their passion for Jesus. And that's what we see in the example of these men. Because they had this passion for Jesus, they didn't need recognition. They didn't need to construct their own security. They didn't need approval. And so they worked hard and they proved themselves to be faithful servants of the gospel by putting the interest of other people, by putting the interest of Christ ahead of their own. And so let's learn from their example. Let's learn from them their example. Let's don't be a people who will say, no, no, you can only be like Jesus or, or, or anything like that. We need to learn from the example of these men who were trying to imitate Christ. And we need to ask ourselves as well that question I've been asking us all the way through. Am I finding somebody who can be that living, breathing example to me? Who can apprentice me? Um, and don't make the mistake of thinking it's got to be somebody flashy or 
dynamic. Just find someone who's quietly going about the business of trying to love Jesus and love their neighbor. Be a mom, be a dad, be a worker. Just all the little things we do every day. Find a person like that who's simply trying to walk with Christ and ask if you can walk with them. Let me pray for us. Father, you have um, you've given us one another for a reason. Um, walking uh, after the Lord Jesus Christ, taking up our cross and following him is not an easy thing. Just knowing what it means to live the Christian life is not an easy thing. And yet here are these people who have gone before us and we often neglect their example. Uh, we often neglect to try to find people to, to apprentice ourselves to God, would you help us to find those people we need to find? Help us to be the mentor to people that we need to be a mentor to. Um, help us not to be afraid of, of relationships. Help us to be open and honest and, and risky in being open and honest. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, uh, the sermon we just had, it might have felt a little moralistic to you. Um, there, wasn't, there wasn't much about the gospel in it, a, a little bit maybe. But I wanted to leave that hanging for you, and I felt comfortable doing that because I knew we were coming to the table. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about having the Lord's Supper every week is that we are always brought back to the gospel. Because to be honest, if, if all Jesus is is your example, then he's just going to condemn you. It's just going to condemn you. If all you're looking for in the Christian life is other people to be your examples, then that's just going to condemn you too, because you're never going to fully measure up, even as you seek to imitate these people. And so we need to return again and again to the grace of the gospel, to Jesus' blood shed for us, to the body of Christ broken for us. And we also come to the table because as we're seeking to follow others' examples, as we're seeking to follow the example of Christ, we've got to get power to do that from somewhere, and that doesn't come from within us. It comes from Jesus. And this is one of those times where we come and we look to Him and receive from Him so that we can go out and live as His disciples. So if you're a believer in Christ, uh, and even if you've stumbled badly this week and, and you say, I'm, I'm not following His example as I should, uh, if you're repenting of that and confessing that, then come. Then come to Him and receive from Him. Let me pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you, you are an example to us, but you are much more than that. You are our Savior who we uh, desperately need, uh, and we need you now. And I pray that you would meet with us now in, in these simple elements that represent your body and your blood. I pray that this would not just be uh, a thing we do every week, but it would actually be a time of communion with you. We pray it in your name. Amen.